Welcome to Story of a Storyteller. I'm your host, Connor Braden. This is the show where I found out all about the ins and outs of the lives of storytellers of all kinds. You can find my free novella, The Stolen Dagger, episode show notes, links to all sorts of amazing books, and more at connorbraden.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Hello, story lovers, and welcome back to Season 5, Episode 10 of the podcast. We're back to normal this week. It's not just me on my own. Uh, but this week, we have not just any guest, but the most listened to guest in the history of the show so far, Chien Julie Wong. Chien Julie was the star of Season 1, Episode 7, which was recorded... Ooh, was it Episode 7? Nope, it was Episode 6. <laughs> Chien Julie was the star of Season 1, Episode 6, which was recorded in July 2020, and the interview you're about to hear was recorded just in August. So this is essentially a year update between uh, Chien Julie and myself, and boy, what a year it was. <laughs> uh, both on a global scale, uh, you know, COVID, the American election, the January 6th riots, um, and so, so much more. And uh, then, of course, on a personal scale for Chi and Julie herself, as as if you're listening to this on the day it comes out on Monday, the 6th of September. Today is the day her book finally is out in the world. Beautiful country. Her memoir of growing up as an undocumented child in the US. She also ended up opening her own law firm with her husband, as well as you might be noticing I'm calling her Chi and Julie. Whereas last episode she was on, I was calling her Julie. And she would explain to you in the interview why she decided to reclaim her name. In personal news, uh, school is well and truly back. So I'm back at the blackboard, even though there, there's, I've literally never taught with a blackboard behind me. <laughs> it's all whiteboards and markers these days, I'm afraid, guys. So it's been all go. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't written anything in a good while, but that's okay. Uh, life gets busy and then it gets quiet and when it's quiet is when I can get my writing done. I think one thing I've learned from all of my guests has been to focus and to relax and to do just the one thing. As Eve said or as who writes as Dixon Rule she said what's your main quest and as Joanna Penn said it's okay to change things and experiment so I'm shifting my focus a bit. I in the past I felt like on the days that I managed to get podcasting stuff but didn't do any writing. I was a failure. Uh, whereas other times I'd just be angry at myself because I didn't sort out podcast stuff. Like, oh, I didn't edit that bit and I didn't um, organise that interview and I didn't write out questions for my next one. But I got loads written and I'd still be annoyed at myself. So here's the shift. You, the listener, won't notice this. Well, I hope you won't notice this. Maybe you will in the quality. I don't know. But I'm planning on being a writer Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and then a podcaster on Thursdays and Fridays leaving Saturday and Sunday free for me to be me and hopefully that will make things more balanced and easier. Who knows? It's going to be a season I'm going to wait till the end of season 5 to declare if that was a positive or a negative outcome. (laughs) We'll, We'll see. So be sure to stick around till the end of the episode to hear a very exciting announcement I'm finally allowed to say um, but for now, let's catch up with Chien Julie Wong. Hello, Chien Julie. Welcome back. Nice to have you back. What's the crack? Hello. Hi, Connor. So good to see you. Kind of feels like deja vu back in this little Zoom window with the pandemic outside. But it's nice. It's really nice to reconnect. And it's, it's so great that we built a friendship over the past year. So. Yeah. It, and what a year it's been like we, we we've I just looked at the time we've actually been talking for 25 minutes already and I've done this before I had, I had no idea <laughs> I did this before I was talking to I had another guest on that I had had before and we actually talked for ages before it recorded as well so <laughs> we'll have to play it fast and quick um like this year has been nuts since like I released the podcast you know there's been I mean, you guys had the election in America and you you started a whole new thing in your career, which we'll talk loads about, you know, but um, then there's January 6th as well in America, which I, 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 that day was nuts from the international point of view because I was just on a Zoom call playing a game online with a couple of friends. And then when the game stopped, I was like scrolling through Twitter and I saw all this stuff and I was like, guys, this this is happening right now. And we were all 
then we stayed on a Zoom call for like an hour and a half or more, just looking at our news feeds going, holy shit, this just happened. And oh my God, like, what was that day like for you, not only as an American, but as an American involved so heavily with the law? It was really terrifying. So I was really busy that day. I remember exactly. I was in my new office trying to get some legal stuff together. And I had a call with my agent around three or something like that about the book and some of the feature essays I was working on. And she called me and she's like, do you want to reschedule? Are you okay? And I was like, what? Because I hadn't even looked at the news. I didn't look at my phone. I wasn't browsing anything. And she's like, open New York Times right now. And I opened it and I was like, this looks like a movie. Mm. This is happening right now in DC. It was terrifying. I, I checked with all my friends in DC to make sure they were okay. And of course, my focus was broken as it has been so many times over the course of this tumultuous year. And I was incredibly worried for our democracy. Um, I was worried that the inauguration for Biden would go awry, that this thing would happen again, but in a much worse form. So the leading up to the day of the inauguration, I just kept myself super busy. That's just how I put my head in the sand that day I like had errands for myself to run around Manhattan so I wouldn't just be sitting there kind of twiddling my thumbs worried about what was happening but all the while checking the news and I was I felt a huge weight just slip off me when it was peaceful and um, it was a transition of power had happened our democracy would continue and for better or for worse Trump is no longer um, you know mostly for better Trump was no longer president I was gonna say for better or worse like what's the worst <laughs> I was like I'll say yeah no just for the better because I can't think of any, <laughs> any worse um, yeah so it's been it's been a lot and then and then the Atlanta shooting happened. And that really took it out of me. I, for, for weeks after, I felt like people in my family had died. It just felt so tragic and really awakened me to a lot of the racism that Asian Americans face but aren't able to talk about or didn't have a platform or didn't feel like they had standing to talk about because they weren't white or Black. Um, and it caused a lot of soul searching within me as to all that I've endured in America and all that I have not let myself acknowledge. It's funny you bring that up because um, if anyone has listened, and, and I'm sure people have, because your your episode in season one of the show was one of the, is still, I think it's in like the top three most downloaded ever. And one of those is the trailer episode. <laughs> that is like one minute. So it's really, really up there. Um, I Because I, I do remember uh, when we first started connecting and when we when you agreed to come on the show the first time, I felt really awkward because I was really focused on how do, how do I say your, your first name? And you were like, no, 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 it's Julie. Just call me Julie. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll, I'll learn how to pronounce Chien properly. And you're like, no, 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 it's Julie. But today I introduced you as Chien, Julie. And so what's, what's, what happened there? What was that change about for you? It was many things. It was the act of editing my book and finalizing it. And that was set in a time when I only had the name Chen. I didn't adopt Julie for many years until after I moved here. And thinking about the feeling that I had when my mentor and judge who I clerked for a while back stopped me one day and she said, obviously this is your name. You can choose however you'd like to be called, but I'm just very curious why you don't use your first name at all because it's a beautiful name. And that was the first time anyone, much less a white person in power, had said that to me. Mm. And that was about six, seven years ago. And it's just been simmering in me since. I mean, this is the judge that inspired me to start working on the book to begin with. And she's, she's in the end of the book. And so writing that scene in the end of the book, editing it, polishing it, thinking about it and letting it marinate, I think it, it just it just got the wheel spinning. And then... Um, in December, I was promoted to partner at my major law firm. And in the partner announcement, um, I was the only person of color on the list. And Chen, for, for a little four letter word, little name that it is, was the only one that was misspelled 
whereas names like Pasconelli, super long, you know, white last names were spelled perfectly. And my name was spelled as Q-U-A-N. And the chair of the firm didn't even like um, apologize. When others called him out on it, he sent another email just saying in the subject with Julie's corrected name, but not even acknowledging what that name was that was misspelled, not even saying, I'm sorry, either privately or publicly. And I'm, it just sent me back to times where in the workplace, especially, but also in school, people just so conveniently wanted to drop that inconvenient first name and I just let them right and it especially emerged after the Atlanta shooting when the names of the victims did not come out for a long time and then when they did the second part of the Korean or Chinese name was redacted to one letter and treated as a middle name whereas most Chinese people and I believe Korean people don't have middle names we have kind of a two-part first name yeah Um, and even now when I've decided to take on and embrace my Chinese first name alongside my English name, I almost every event and interview I go to, people are like, can I just call you Julie? Can I, can I just call you Chan? Like, why do you need both? And my answer to that is I am both. Mm-hmm. There's idea that you can be Asian and an immigrant, or you can be American and you can't be both and And the resistance I felt against my name over and over again for the past decades really has shown that. And my looking at it, once I saw it in the face, I just couldn't turn away from it. And both of of these names are my identities. And there is a way to carry both of them authentically together at the same time. And that's what I am learning to do and working to do. And what I hope many of us out there who've had to erase part of our identities will learn to do over time. Yeah. It's um you're reminding me a lot of just like before before I say this, I want to say sorry, that's that's annoying. It, it's so how can I put this? It must be so infuriating because a lot of people would be like, ah look, they just misspelled your name. You know, and and look, people misspell even my name, um, especially my surname, because it doesn't sound at all like it's spelled and it's not spelled like it sounds. It's 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 an unusual surname. And people still get it wrong and it bugs me and I'll just say I, I know this is how you spell it but I mean that's just my surname it's not used on a day-to-day basis but when it's your first name and when people can't even say it properly yeah it's annoying the first time and then the next time and then the next time but as you said you've been dealing with it for decades so it's it wears you down I'm sure even with my last name too I mean I think popular culture still think it's pronounced Wang yeah. and they pronounce, they say Vera Wang and Alexander Wang in Mandarin, which is my dialect, it's Wong. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I just, up and through, I think, college, I said Wang because it was just easier to get along. And then in law school, I was like, why am I saying Wang? That's not Chinese. <laughs> That's just an anglicized version of my name. That's not actually what it is. So I, you know, and, and that took time for me to be like, no, it's Wong. That's how it's said in Chinese, it's Wong. Um, and so you when I first have to so many puns though, cause it's just like, you're saying Wong Wong, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly you're saying Wong Wong. Um, and also at my firm, people just couldn't get it in my head that that was how it was pronounced, even though I would rec- correct them on a daily basis. Um, so, I mean, it's also just part of learning to take space, right. For someone, especially for Asian American women out there who are told to stay small and not make noise it's a practice. It's a daily practice. Um, so I'm still working on it. Um, as I was saying there, that one thing, it's, it's a minor thing, but any of my Irish audience that are listening that have a father in their name. So a father is a, is a, what's it called? An accent. It's like a little flick that goes over. It can go over vowels or not. Um, okay. It's a completely different letter in Irish, but it's it's just it's it's a it's a minor thing that like I have no fathers in my name, but there there are people like the name um Siobhan or Sinead. Right, that's right. They have fathers in them. And if you don't spell it with a father, it's a completely different word. Um like the the minor thing I always teach to kids when I'm doing Irish with them, there's a the the word A I T is pronounced ach in Irish and it means strange. 
And then the word A with a father over it, I-T, is Och. So it changes the at to an A. Yeah. And Och means place. <laughs> so it can completely change the thing. And I'm, and that's not, that's, again, this is minor compared to being told, no, this is how you pronounce your name for decades. But it's just this like minor ingrained thing that goes into the minorities when they're out with a, with a, with a majority, I suppose. You can't really say that, but you know what I mean? It's to accept what the majority says rather than say, no, 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 this is actually what it is. Yeah, exactly right. And it, it's minor. You're totally right. But if it happens every day or several times a day, all of your life, then it's not so minor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where is he down? Um, so you've also you, we mentioned the the law firm that you were working with in December and you got promoted and stuff. But there's been a change there, too, for you. Um, Tell us a bit about that. I decided to open up my own firm with my husband. We specialize in discrimination and civil rights. So he has particular expertise in special education litigation, representing the um, needs of uh, especially able children and children who need to be out of the mainstream classroom and their parents. And I have particular experience in discrimination litigation, um, both in disability, race, gender, um, sex, sex, that kind of thing. So right now we're seeing a huge resurgence in disability discrimination suits because of how these vaccines are not able to protect the immunocompromised while universities, <clears throat> while public and private universities are requiring people to go back in class to get their credits. How does that affect someone who has these different health conditions? Okay. Um, so it's it's a kind of a new area of the law that we're taking on and examining. But as you know, uh, there's also been a lot of difficulties with educating children during the pandemic and especially children who might have autism or something that if they can't be at the boarding school and have to be home, but have a single parent <clears throat> who also needs to work, how is that going to be accommodated? Um, so there are a lot of thorny new issues in the law that I'm really excited to tackle. And I have been doing immigration law pro bono at my former firm as well. But how this all happened was, again, while editing and finalizing my book, I was taken back to when I first decided to be a lawyer. And that was when I was eight and discovered the biographies of Thurgood Marshall and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I told myself that I was going to be the Thurgood and the Ruth of immigrants, of immigrant women, of Asian women, of minorities. And then I went to a fancy law school and was told, no, this was the right thing to do. And that's the gold star you need to get. And this is the hoop you need to jump through. And almost a decade out of law school, I find myself making partner at a commercial litigation firm that represents major businesses and celebrities and billionaires. And I loved my clients. I love them. I fought tooth and nail for them. I can't do anything half-assed. I have to be full on, right? But there was something in me that said, you now have a distinct privilege. You know the system inside and out. What are you still doing here? What gold star are you waiting for next? If not partner, what is next for you? And then I was looking at, especially the attorneys of color and the women who had been in this corporate setting for so long, enduring discrimination and harassment and what it does to them. You either kind of have to buy into the abuse in the system or you tap out. And if you're there for a long time, you become part of the system yeah. in a way that I never wanted to allow myself to be tricked into being. So at the cusp of December, when I was deciding to just sign the partner agreement and be at the firm for a while or leave, I just looked at my integrity and my authenticity, my gut, and there was no way I could see myself doing that. And I had been very vocal in, in all corporate settings, but this one in particular about discrimination and harassment. And I did not see or believe things to be meaningfully changing. I mean, I reported my boss who had previously been reported and they finally, they investigated him and he ultimately left, but he just got a job at a similar firm elsewhere. 
So how do you keep these systems from allowing these predators to continue to have power? I mean, that's that's a question that New York State is currently reckoning with with Cuomo. But I just wanted to be out of the system and, and holding them accountable and doing what was aligned with what eight-year-old Chen wanted me to do. <laughs> you, you would have intimidated me so much as an eight-year-old. <laughs> Because you're like, when you're a nature old, I'm going to fix the system. I'm going to defend the vulnerable. I'm going to do that. And I was like, I want to play Pokemon. You know? <laughs> Actually, there's a passage in my book where I was like, I was a loser who wanted to be a lawyer and everyone else wanted to be an astronaut or a ballerina. I was like, what eight-year-old wants to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg? It's insane. <laughs> well, look, you wrote a book. <laughs> By definition, anyone who tries to write a book, I think, is a little bit insane. So... It's true. You struck a chord to me there when you said, um, you know, you looked around, you realized you were, you were part of the system and you weren't changing it. Cause I had a kind of a similar experience again, like everything you're doing is just like law changing and, da, 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 and I'm just like this little small little corner. No, no oh. way. My I, belief, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just want to say teachers are the biggest heroes and the most underappreciated people in our society. If you could protect a child from trauma, from everything that might be going on in his or her household, from everything out there, if you can build, help build up that resilience and faith in themselves, you are fixing society from the bottom up. I mean, that's why we're doing education law because so many problems so many hurdles begin from the minute you're born, just depending on who you're born to and and, and what state you're born in. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're dead right. And it's, it's, that's the thing I think that, that I feel the most um, held back by as a teacher, you know, when you, you know, when you, well, you, you do know, but you, you've seen it in different contexts, but you know, when you see, a small thing and you're just like but that's so easily fixed and you're held back by rules and protocols absolutely and sometimes you're held back because you're like oh no no you shouldn't do that and it's like but why you know um I don't I don't experience that every day but I I've taught I'm believe it or not I'm going to be teaching 10 years in September but, wow yeah long <laughs> Service. <laughs> <laughs> it is a service. <laughs> it really is. It's the biggest service you could give to a country. So, <laughs> but um, my my point I was saying earlier was uh, there was there was a lot of issues in Ireland about um, pay quality for teachers. So I know in America, and for anyone who's listening from outside of America, this is something I learned through doing this podcast that blew my mind. But teachers' wages aren't regulated across the country; it's done by county. So. You know, you, how many counties ish are in New York State? Like 30? No idea. A lot. A lot. There's a lot. But like, if you're teaching in one county, your wage is, as a teacher is dictated by how much tax is paid by the residents of that county. Serious? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so if you, if you think about that further down the line, right? If you're in a county that is socioeconomic, advantage like there's not a lot of high wage earners there you as a teacher you're not going to get a high wage right um so then you're disenchanted with the job you might not put in as much effort da, 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 da. and then you, a job comes up in the next county over where a couple of millionaires live so your wage is going to be much higher the school is going to have better funding the people who the kids who go to that school are going to have more resources more access to different things that they need like it just boggles my mind because here in ireland we're all paid by the government if i'm teaching in a really well-off school really well-to-do parents in the heart of the south part of dublin city or if i'm teaching on an island off the coast of donegal where there's only six kids in the whole school i'm going to get paid the same wage right. you know right. actually in ireland i'd get paid more for teaching on the island there's <laughs> they actually yeah they pay you more for certain things so like if you're in an irish-speaking area of the country you get paid more um if you teach in a, an island school you get a, a special grant for teaching on the island and different different things just as an extra incentive to make sure they have teachers there you know very cool yeah i don't think teachers are paid enough anywhere but no, i know that sounds like a, a huge travesty i actually don't know how teachers are paid here but i think it's a little bit more uniform by function of being 
a government salaried employee, but I, I'm sure there's still variations based on the school district. Because you can tell, you can tell from how the schools look, <laughs> what the taxes are like in that area and, and how wealthy the parents are. Um, it's a real, real disparity. And it's something that in the public education here, especially in New York City, people are, are looking into changing and fixing because otherwise it becomes like the these are the magnet high schools and, and the poor kids have to test in and commute in, adding on top of probably having to work through high school and all sorts of other responsibilities to get to this place that offers you a decent education. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one thing. The Irish education system is not perfect by a long shot, but I've learned a lot. For some reason, a lot of writers are teachers too. It's it's a weird thing. Like I've come across so many teachers just by just by like, hey, I saw your book. I'd like you to come on the show. And then when I'm researching them, I'm like, oh, you're a teacher as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's- we never spoke about Frank McCourt, who's a memoirist and teacher, and he was from Ireland, right? I yeah. think. Yeah, from Limerick. Rising uh, <laughs> in Ireland, from what I what I heard. Uh, Angela's Ashes, that was the name of his. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's one of my um, inspirations for writing my book. Oh God, I haven't read your book yet, but it must be very depressing. <laughs> um, no, I try to put joy in it, but um, so uh, I know why the Cage Bird Sings and Angela's Ashes were kind of lodestars for me because they so vividly portrayed the childhood perspective and then they were so steeped in the culture of wherever each child was growing up and they read like novels which is what I wanted my book to do I think memoirs that read like novels are just more accessible and more vivid entertaining I don't know what the word is They're, they're just you can just sink your teeth into them a little bit more as a reader yeah, and I just thought it was more fun to write that way instead of, and then this happened to me, and that happened to me, and then this other thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was Tuesday. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the book, because uh, and I know you're, you're probably sick to the back teeth of, uh, of talking about the book, but we're going to do it in a different way, because what has it been like being published by one of the big five, you know, because that's that's a thing i mean any anybody who's serious about their writing knows if you can get published by one of the big five you're i don't want to say you're set or anything like that but you know you you have a lot of power behind you when the book is coming out have you felt that how how has it been working with penguin random house for sure absolutely i have really lucked out too because double day is just an immensely capable imprint of penguin random house all of the people there are incredibly dedicated and talented and aware of some of the systemic problems in in the publishing industry and also elsewhere. But I've also met authors who have been published by other big fives who have been less than satisfied with the resources they got. I just feel incredibly lucky and fortunate to have gotten my team. I love them all to death. If you guys are listening, thank you so much. And thank you for putting up with my incessant emails. Because one thing I've learned is that lawyers email a lot more than authors and I respond to everything within like five minutes. So, which is not, you know, can be helpful sometimes a little annoying in your inbox. Um, But I think there's been a lot of things, however talented my team is and however dedicated they are in the industry that just hasn't moved as fast as I would like. And I'm mostly speaking about pigeonholing authors of color and women of color. Um, I've been doing events since March or April. Your podcast last year was the first interview I did. It was great practice. Was it? Yeah, it was the very you first. No, you wouldn't know. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm lucky because I talk in court, so there, there's some transfer, transfer, transferable skills, but I can't tell you the number of times I have been asked to speak in a room with other women of color, other people of color. I have never been asked to speak in a room with other um, immigrants, other, well, some of these people of color are immigrants, but other undocumented immigrants or people who have written about being undocumented. I have not been asked to speak on a panel with other authors who are lawyers. I've, um, unless I have proactively inserted myself, I have not been invited to speak on a panel 
with other authors who are Jewish, which I am. So it's, it feels like the visible minority part of me is just really putting me in a certain box. And my team has worked day in and day out to say this is an Asian American story, but it's also an American story. This should be part of the canon. I mean, there's a reason that the canon is mostly dominated by white authors. And it's something that Doubleday are actively, my apologies, are actively working to fix. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel the support that I'm getting that I don't think other authors, especially at indie presses at, and maybe other big fives would get in, in combating these stereotypes and assumptions. Um, and I've also just learned how much time and resources goes into promoting a book way before public, the public ever hears of it. I mean, I've been promoting this book in the industry for the past seven months and most of the general public has not even seen most of it because that happens at launch. So I, up until this experience, thought that I had chosen to read the books I have chosen to read because I like them and I am drawn to them. And this experience has completely changed how I view that. I'm like, no, I'm reading what the industry wants me to read, what the industry is putting in front of me seven times in a row. And I'm like, oh, that looks good. Uh, I'll, I'll buy that. It's, um, it's like that bit in, um, uh, in The Devil Wears Prada. You know, when, uh, when uh, I can't remember, the, what's the actress's name? Oh, God. Um, Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway yeah. which comes in wearing the blue thing and yeah, and, yeah that's uh, right that's right you you didn't just pick that like somebody picked it somebody picked cerulean and then it was in this and then it was in this show and then it was and then you found it in a bargain bit so it's like the book equivalent of that right absolutely absolutely once you look behind the curtain there's no going back you're like oh i've just been manipulated my whole life which is fine i, I found some amazing books that have guided me and kept me company but you know, <laughs> That's a way to put it. I've been manipulated my whole life, but it's been great. <laughs> I love the positive attitude. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so what are what are some of the things that um, I don't say shocked because that sometimes has negative connotations. But what are, what are some of the things that surprised you or were like, oh wow, we have to do this? Like even the fact that you recorded you, the audiobook version, which is I know from experience can be really difficult. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was that was something else. Um, but the first thing that shocked me was I didn't know that advanced copies of books went out so early and so widely for some of the more supported books. And I kept, from the, from the lawyer perspective, I kept being like, what if someone copies and pastes this and publishes it themselves? What if they put it online? Like, that was my thing. But, but apparently that's just part of marketing. You have to, to get the word out. You have to get the book out way in advance. Um, so the whole idea of finishing and proofing and finalizing my book a full year before my book actually came out and then just sometimes rereading it and being like, I wish I had changed that, but now it's set in stone. Or when I went to record my audiobook and reading it and just cringing at the sentence and I'm just thinking, what idiot put this, these, these words together in a row? This is awful. This needs to be burned. But unfortunately, it's going to print right now and then there's nothing I can do about it. Um, that is a very particular kind of torture for authors. I think a lot of authors will know what I mean. And I don't know how I'm going to feel, you know, 10 years from now seeing my book and be like oh man <laughs> if I could write it again it would be entirely different uh, but yeah it's just looking at, again looking behind the curtain and seeing everything that that happens um, that authors are speaking to librarians and indie booksellers way before their books hit the shelves that marketing is is sending these books out to influencers and I just a part of um book writing that I never thought about. I think a lot of people think of being an author as just being an artist and producing a product and it's not a business. But I guess, unfortunately, under capitalism, everything's a business and it has to be framed and structured that way. And I, I feel very fortunate that I have both a business and legal mind and an artist mind. And sometimes they're at odds with each other, but most of the time they're able to live in harmony but yeah, you asked about the audiobook, and that was shockingly exhausting. I thought I had it made. Because oh, you, you, you think, oh, I'll just read the book. It's fine. But exactly. And I talk in court 
all the time. I'm very comfortable doing that on the record, right? If someone's writing down every word I'm saying, I'm fine with that. But I'm not reading in court. When I'm reading and I may, I wrote these words, but I may not necessarily perfectly anticipate the word to come and I have to read it verbatim. There were many times where I just filled in words mm -hmm. and I had a director and producer and technician there with me and they would have to be like, wait, hold on. You just filled in an, a the in there. There's no the. And then I have to go back. So it was a lot more time consuming. And then I became so very conscious of all the sounds in my body. Like if I had to burp, and there's like huge mic in my face. I'm like, oh my God, all I could think was don't burp. And I was so worried of saying that into the recording of don't burp. <laughs> and I, was, I became fixated with that. And then I realized that I drink and eat all day long. And I would just come out of these sessions because I did, they were full day sessions and I'd have a lunch break and I come out of them so hungry. And I'm like, man, I really have a snacking problem. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, uh, you learn a lot about yourself. And then there were words that apparently I'd just been pronouncing wrong the whole time. Like I say patina, apparently it's patina. And that is my dog growling. Sorry. Um, my little dark guard dog of 15 pounds. Um, I, I said chatham all the time instead of chatham, which is, is apparently a Britishism. Okay. So, and then having to having to um, read words, Chinese words in conjunction with English words in the same sentence, which was how I wrote my book because I thought that would be fun as an artistic style to show how bilingualism works. Mm -hmm. It's not so fun when you're recording an audiobook. You gotta switch languages because Chinese is so tonal. And then English demands that when you ask a question, there's an up tilt at the end. But if you do an up tilt on the Chinese word, it's not the Chinese word anymore. There should be like a, an extra participle for there to carry that sound. But of course, in an English sentence, I don't put the participle. And it was just a whole like, oh my God, my two languages in my brain, like <laughs> I have a huge headache. I need to not lie down. But it was really fun too. And I felt myself getting emotional at times, sometimes laughing along, sometimes really tearing up. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, uh, the way I speak and, and how to pronounce words properly. <laughs> Um, have you, have you any, cause, cause I found this with doing the podcast and I, I'm trying to record the audiobook myself of my, of my fiction novel and oh, it's a slog. It's so, it's so difficult to find the time and then to edit it and then to master it. And then I make a mistake and I don't catch it until it's too late and I have to record the chapter again. But for me, any, uh, I'm even cringing thinking about it. Any word that has a C and an L right beside each other like close and um, closet and all that. I, I know I say them wrong because I actually click with the back of my tongue against my teeth. Instead yeah. Of, oh, cool. You're supposed, it's, it's yeah. And it, so it was like, it's so weird how totally. book just totally makes you so analyze everything about the way you speak and even the way you stand and hold your body. I know I saw photos you were sitting. I, I'm, I'm doing you you had a nice professional um big five studio behind you I I'm doing it in a in a, in a cupboard <laughs> so it's different I'm standing up and I have to stand really still because I realize well all oh, my clothes make noise and you know there's just so much that goes through your head um, yeah, no, I had to take off my earrings because uh, my director was doing it remotely due to COVID there were people there but she was remote and she's like what is that clicking sound it's like every few words, there's a clicking sound. I was like, I don't know. And she's like, no, there it is again. I'm like, oh, my earrings. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's, it's bizarre, some of the things. Audiobook recording is a skill in its own right. Um, come here. Paid enough, I got to say. The yeah. audiobook narrators are not paid nearly enough. Not it's enough. some rolling work. <laughs> um, we just, you mentioned COVID there a second ago, and I'm aware, like, Look, it's a kind of a thing of, I remember saying this to you in the first time you're on the show, I was like, you know, hopefully this time next year, we'll all be back to normal. Like, nope, Connor, never say hopefully ever again. But um, you're doing a book tour and, I, and, and I, I checked it out just to kind of see where you were going. And it's mad. You're really going all over the place with it. Like you're in California a lot. Or is that, is that you? Already? Yeah, it's, it's on your website, Mrs. <laughs> yeah. My website? Is this, am I breaking news to you? 
Well, I control my website. It shouldn't be. Or maybe, I, on, maybe it was on a, but I did see it somewhere. Like, I think I went into a pre-order link and it was like book tour. I clicked it and then, yeah. So. I think um, some of the events are going up on, on PRH, Penguin Random House's site. I have not could be that, yeah. gotten my, my act together and update my site yet. Um, but yes, yeah, so we had a full-on tour originally planned. We were hoping that September would be better. And in June, it looked like it would be. But but then the variant happened, and so that's very disappointing. But I, I have events through 2022, so I'm and there are still some events that are in person right now. Um, there's a Chicago event that I'll be in person. There's one in New Jersey. There's one in Nevada. There are a few in Florida later um, next year. So I'm fingers crossed. I'll, I'll get to do some in person. But I'm very disappointed because I was very much looking forward to. Be, Back, back in a room with people and meeting readers and my hope is just that eventually I'll get to do that and um, <clears throat> you know there's there's a lot going on in the world right now and I was very disappointed when I learned but it could be worse like I told my editor in an alternate universe I never even wrote this book so <laughs> there are a lot of things that that could be different um, so I'll, I'll take what I can get and and we'll just figure it out from there. Yeah, I think that, I think that's the best way anyone can look at anything when it comes to COVID. You just have to say, look, we'll, we'll plan for it. And if it can do it, great. And if I can't, if it's not safe, if someone feels uncomfortable, we'll just, you know, it, it, it's fine. Because I, yeah. I think too many people, like there's, there's a lot of books as well. I mean, um, I have a, have another podcast. By the time this airs, it'll, um, it'll be known. But I have another podcast coming up for a children's book festival here in Ireland um that's starting on september 27th will be the first episode uh, it's called wonder pod so there we go it's officially out there um, <laughs> but it's <laughs> say that again sorry first to know yeah you are yeah it's first to know. um but i haven't nearly finished recording because uh because you know when september hits i'm going to be really busy back at school yeah. september is always one of the most manic months um in teaching so i actually have the whole thing recorded already but I, I spoke um, earlier today with um, two authors whose books came out this year. And like one of them, his book was supposed to come out um, early 2020 and then they postponed it for six months and then they postponed it again. And like, there's so many things that people just kept pushing back thinking it'll be fine. I mean, I have friends who were supposed to get married and they didn't and they didn't. And then they finally just did something small, you know, it's. Exactly. exactly. I, I feel the most for people whose books were supposed to come out in March 2020 or who were supposed to get married in March 2020, because that was just a different world where we didn't know what was going on and, and when, how long this would last and how bad it was. And it was pretty bad, but now at least we have a better sense of how COVID works and, and what to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's really helped me. I used to be very controlling, extremely perfectionistic. And COVID has kind of forced me to just loosen the reins and just be like, well, you can't control it. There's actually nothing you can do. And I always want to do 100% of everything, but under this climate, who knows what that means even. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. You just need to, we all, I think everyone in the world has learned to be a lot more flexible and forgiving just because it's, just, it's touched every aspect of every person's life on the globe. Well, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere in remote in the remote Amazon or something that doesn't even heard of it, but still it's, it's <laughs> um, I I'm aware of our time and I know you're an extremely busy person. So I'll start wrapping up uh, with my famous questions that I always ask towards the end. So when we've um, stopped recording and we've chatted for probably another 25 minutes, knowing us, <laughs> um, what's the first thing you're going to do today? I am taking my dogs, my husband and I, we're going up to my in-laws up in um, Westchester, New York. Mm -hmm. They are um, away for the weekend. And as you might relate in COVID times, it's just nice to have a little bit of space and a backyard for the dogs to go crazy. And, and somehow during COVID, it has helped the rabbit population in the town that my in-laws live in. There are rabbits everywhere, out of nowhere. It's just over the course of COVID. I don't know. Maybe it helps rabbits breed. Um, but my dogs love going up there and trying to hunt these rabbits who are pretty much the same size as them. It <laughs> should be fun. <laughs> I love that. So you, you could have said we're going rabbit hunting. Um. <laughs> 
But I don't support that. I only let them do it because I know they have no chance and no survival skills. So they could never get one. <laughs> yeah, let, let's face it. They're, they're, they're city dogs. They're not just city dogs. They're like like tiny city dogs. If, if a rabbit ever stopped and stared them in the face, they would come back running to me. So. <laughs> um now i remember last time we spoke i asked you this question i said um what were your goals as a writer and you said you were kind of thinking of doing something in fiction is is that still something you're kind of thinking or are you just really focused on the new law firm and um the the and beautiful country your book no uh writing and lawyering are both my calling so i already started my second book which is a novel and it's about a woman of color working in a major law firm. I noticed. Where did you get that idea? I <laughs> loosely informed and based on my life and what I've seen in my time in that world. But I was thinking about big law books. Like law books seem very popular in t- on TV and in, in movies and in publishing. But the source material is often a white man, like John Grisham and the like, right? They sell so well. People seem to have a genuine appetite for it. Um, and there are some real themes and, and messages that you can use this medium to convey. But I can't think of a, a, a woman of color or person of color. Maybe I'm missing someone who has written a books in that setting. And so I would like very much to do it and do it well. Um, obviously, there's a lot of great works out there in that genre already. But this, I think, will be a little bit more nuanced. But it will also be more fun because when I was writing my memoir, you know, I was a child and it was dire situations. There was not as much room for humor yeah. and as I would have liked. So now I get to make up names and scenarios. And, and the one thing I learned switching from memoir writing to fiction writing is that you don't set out. I mean, sometimes you, you set out with a plot, but it definitely grows as you write and the characters change. And I'm like, I created you. Why are you changing? I guess that's what parents think about children. But <laughs> I'm like, you're in my mind. What are you, what's happening to you? But it's fascinating because I mean, I wrote a memoir because I was like, you know, I, at least I know what happens. I know these people. So they're, they're fixed things and that's easier. I don't know how to design a character. And now I'm realizing, oh, I don't have to because they will organically grow in the writing process. Yeah, it's it's a very common trope of I wanted my characters to do this, but no, they said no. Um, <laughs> like, it's it's weird. and But in a way, that's good. That shows that you're a good writer because you've created a real person that wouldn't do the things that you're telling them to do so you know speaking as a person who works with kids people don't do what you tell them to do <laughs> um where can then people <laughs> yep it, it, it that, that tracks um just tell people where they can find you online in terms of like social media website that kind of thing of course uh, my website is www.qianjuliewang.com that's my full name chanjuliewang.com and i am on twitter under my full name with an app before it and as well as instagram and facebook so we'd love to connect and my tour information will be up there soon apparently according to connor <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i feel really bad i feel like i broke the news <laughs> Hey, look, if it's going to be somebody, it should be the first podcast you were on, right? Yeah, and thank you for checking my pre-order page. I appreciate that. Not at all, not at all. Um, And my final question, as always, what was the last book you read? The last book I read was Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. It is a great novel about um, a transgender person who has decided to detransition into a man. And not only is the plot just so fascinating the book opened me up to a whole new world that I was not previously privy to and it made me so very aware of my own privileges of being a cis woman very comfortable in my body and never having to think about some of the issues that these many characters have to deal with and I I do think that is what the best literature does is that it opens the reader's mind to a completely different perspective. So I highly recommend that book and, and I hope you guys will check it out. If I recall, I think um, that was one of your targets with Beautiful Country was to, to show other people 
uh, a life in a world that they may not be privy to. So um, it's interesting that you're still drawn to that as a book. <laughs> yeah, that's always been my um, the book that I seek out and the book I seek to write. And you have a great memory that you remember that I'm I'm flattered and, and impressed. But <laughs> if I can do what Tori Peters has done, I will be very very happy. Uh, Chia and Julie, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Now that you're a big time Penguin Random House author who has a book tour and a website and an audiobook and everything, um, and it's uh, I'm proud to call you my friend. Thank you so much, Connor, for having me and for all that you are doing for authors and for your students. And um, it's just been delightful to talk to you every time. I hope we'll get to reconnect again soon. Uh, definitely. <laughs> Thanks yet again to Chi and Julie for squeezing in a lunchtime interview. Um, I've said it many times on the show in the past, but it's great to connect with others and form friendships, and I'm very lucky to call Chi and Julie a friend. If you are in the US or Canada, go check out her book right now in any good bookshop. If you're in Ireland, just wait until September 30th. But hey, from what I've seen, it's well worth the wait. For my special announcement, you heard it first with Chi and Julie, I'm launching a new podcast in 21 days. You might remember Sarah Webb from season one and Eve MacDonald in season two. So they ran Wonderfest and I ended up helping out. So if you can't wait for season five, which is going to be in October, uh, you can listen to WonderPod in a few days. WonderPod is the official podcast to Wonderfest 2021, where I interview children's authors, illustrators, agents and publishers. If you're interested in being a writer of any kind, particularly in the um, uh, children's writing space or even the traditional publishing space, this is the show for you. I really delve in and I talk to so many amazing authors, um, all mostly Irish, some illustrators as well, agents, publishers. It's, it's, it's all recorded, all ready to go, and it's brilliant. So if you want to check it out, go to www.wonderfest.ie to check out more about the festival and the podcast and that will be starting on September 27th. So that's a wrap for season four and a wrap for year one as well which is kind of crazy. Um, Like I said look I'm not going to ramble too much you heard it last episode on the solo show about how proud I am of the podcast and my dreams for the future. So thanks to every single guest I've had in the last year particularly the guests of season five Anya Pavel, NJ Sullivan, Salosia Crane, Joanna Penn, Dixon Rule, again, <laughs> Bill Johnson, Keith A. Pearson, and if you don't have the A, it's a banjo player, don't forget that either, Laura Miller, Ginny Myers Sane, and Chien Julie Wong. But more importantly, I would like to thank you, the listener, especially if you're a listener for more than one episode, because it shows you're a fan of the show. If it wasn't for you guys continuing to come back again and again to hear these amazing stories, I'd never be where I am now. Don't forget to come back for season five on the first Monday of October and every Monday after that until December 6th. So I will see you all then. Be good, be brave, be wonderful and tell stories. Thanks for listening today. I hope you loved listening to this episode just as much as I loved recording it. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser. Until then, be good, be brave and tell stories. See ya. Thank you.